what? April Fool's Day. It's that day of the year that many people like to spin the truth a little bit with their friends and gullible family members. Spinning the truth, that's a fancy way of saying we lie on April 1st. You know, we might tell our friend, oh, guess who I got a call from last week? Kobe Bryant gave me a call, wants to have lunch sometime. Uh, could give us some pointers on uh, shooting some hoops or maybe some pointers on his free throws. Uh, maybe we'd go with something else like, oh, you know, you never believe who I ran into at the store yesterday. Jerry Brown was there. Wanted some pointers on how to run the state. And uh, so we try to spin these tall tales. Some of us get a little bolder. We take it to the next level on April Fool's Day and we'll play some pranks on our gullible friends and family. You know what I'm talking about, right? Talking like, you know, cellophane on the toilet. You know, things like that. You TP your boss's office. Uh, you know, maybe you, you get a big scoop of peanut butter on your spoon and you feed it to the dog. You know, you, you take your kids' beds and you put them in the garage and tell them you're renting out the room to make a little extra money. You know, just stuff like that, you know. I, I personally would never engage in, in such things. But Why are some of you taking notes on those ideas? Yeah. Well, it was back in the early 1950s that there was a certain young man in Portland, Oregon, that had it on his heart to become a missionary. And he wanted to become a missionary to Ecuador. His name was Jim Elliott. And it took him about five years to complete his language studies and to assemble his mission team and, and uh, to get his passport and be able to resettle down there in South America. But he finally made it down to Ecuador. And once he was there, he and his team decided that the Lord wanted them to reach a tribe that was in the jungles of Ecuador, a tribe that had been, never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were the Alca tribe. The Alca tribe. That name, Alca, is from the Quechua language, and it translates as savage. These Alca tribesmen were known for being violent toward outsiders, but Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries believed that they needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So they began flying their airplane into the jungles of Ecuador. And they were able to start building a relationship with one of those Alca tribesmen. And they were seeming to think that things were going pretty well. But one day as they had landed their plane and were there in the jungles, starting to speak once again with their new friend they had made in the Alca tribe, some Alca tribesmen came out of the woods and slaughtered all of them. On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott and his four missionary buddies died on the end of a spear. Jim Elliott had just married his wife Elizabeth about two years earlier. They had one child, a daughter that wasn't even a year old. And there he was, as this news began to spread around the world, people were looking at this and thinking, what a senseless tragedy. Many people were looking at that and they couldn't believe that a young man, 28 years old, had laid down his life. And it seemed like such a waste. But you know what? After Jim Elliott died, his wife was going through his journals, and she discovered that he had written something in his journal. And here's what he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As people looked at Jim Elliott's death, many came to the conclusion that he was a fool. 28 years old, going to the jungles of Ecuador, knowing full well that they would probably slaughter him there. And to others, he was a hero. And I'm here to tell you today which one Jim Elliott was, hero or fool, completely depends on whether or not Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead on that first Easter morning. I want you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to open today together to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, we'd love you to, to take one home with you today if you don't have a Bible of your own. Uh, in the meantime, you can grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. I also encourage you to pull out your message notes from the bulletin. Uh, there will be some notes in there for you so you can get the most out of this message. I'll also have a pen or pencil handy so you can fill in some blanks along the way on those handouts. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, and uh, if you're new to the Bible and don't know quite where that is in the Bible, uh, you'll find the page number on your handouts uh, on your message notes from your bulletin. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the Christians in the church of the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a uh, city in Greece uh, that Paul had planted the church there. He had ministered there for a long time. And Corinth was kind of like the, the ancient Las Vegas of his day. It, it really was sin city because in Corinth in Paul's day, you could find bars on every corner, prostitutes anywhere you turned. The city was filled with people who were uh, focused on themselves, people who were extremely materialistic, very greedy, very selfish. It was Sin City. And so what Paul discovered was the Christians there in Corinth were really just constantly being bombarded by all of this crud from their culture around them. And so Paul found that the, the the behavior of the, the Corinthian people began to seep into the church and taint the church. And, and the beliefs of that culture began to sinfully taint the church. And so he wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, and here in chapter 15, he addresses one area where their culture had tainted their beliefs. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to start reading here in verse 12. Say amen if you're there. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm ready to go. Go ahead. Here we go. Starting in verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your word this is your day, and I pray, O oh God, that my mouth would not get in the way of what you want to speak to us today. Help us to have ears to hear, minds and hearts ready to receive what you want to teach us through your word today, because your word is fresh and alive and relevant for us today, more than ever before. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. So Paul writes to the Corinthians. They're being tainted by the church around them. And, and so Corinth was in the nation of Greece. At this point in time when Paul wrote this, the Roman Empire had conquered the Greek Empire. And so here we have in the city of Corinth this Greek and Roman culture that's starting to infiltrate the church. And the Greek philosophers, the famous guys like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, those famous Greek philosophers had looked at this notion of the bodily resurrection and they were trying to wrap their minds around it. Okay, so what you're saying is that when I die, my body is dead and buried, but at some point down the road, I'm going to somehow come back with a new and improved body. And as the Greek philosophers tried to wrap their minds around this, it just seemed like utter nonsense to them. You know, that's just so, so tall of a tale. I, I just can't, I can't buy that. And so that's what the Greek philosophers had come to. They were unbelievers when it came to the resurrection. And the Greek philosophers thought had infiltrated the Greek culture, which in turn infiltrated the Roman culture. And so here we have these Corinthian Christians that Paul is writing to. And when they came to a saving knowledge of Christ, they came to a point where they said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that he is a risen Savior. I do believe he died on Good Friday, but he resurrected on Easter Sunday. And I believe that one day I will be resurrected as well and will have the opportunity to go to heaven. They believed this when they became Christians. But meanwhile, during the week when they're not in the church service, their buddies from Corinth are coming up to them and whispering them in their ear. If you believe in the resurrection, you, my friend, are an idiot. If you believe that you're going to live after you die, you're a moron. You're a fool. Don't you know that dead men tell no tales? Even Captain Jack Sparrow knows this. Dead men do not come back. And so they had their friends whispering in their ear, there is no resurrection. They had their pastors saying there is a resurrection. And they're being pulled in a theological tug of war. And so Paul writes this marvelous little piece of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. And here's what Paul does here. I want you to understand, Christians, the implications of buying into what your friends are telling you. First of all, you need to understand that if there is no resurrection, then Jesus himself has not been resurrected either. And you're going to have to somehow come to grips with that if there is no resurrection. And you take it the next step, if Jesus was not resurrected, here are five repercussions of that belief. And here's what he does in these verses we just read. He lays out these five repercussions that you're going to have to deal with if Jesus Christ did, in fact, not rise from the dead. The first of those he reveals in verse 14. If Christ did not rise, number one, our preaching is useless. Our preaching is useless. Paul is saying, you know what? I've devoted my life to preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. If Jesus, in fact, did not rise from the dead, I am wasting my time preaching. And he says, Corinthians, if you're listening to my preaching, you are wasting your time listening if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. We look at our situation here today. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, what am I doing up here right now? What an utter waste of my time. Why am I preaching God's word to you people? There's a lot of things I could be doing right now. I could be sleeping in. I could be playing golf right now. The weather's not bad outside. 
I could be taking my kids on a day trip somewhere. I could be going to Vegas, baby. There's lots I could be doing. There's lots that you could be doing. What are you doing wasting your time on, in a church service on Easter morning if Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the dead? This is a waste of your time sitting there politely listening to me. Think of all you could be doing. You could be sleeping in. You could be over there waiting two hours in line to eat at Cracker Barrel. Some people I've heard it's even longer than two hours. You could be going the state line. There's all sorts of things you could be doing if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning. Paul makes it clear, if Jesus Christ didn't rise, then the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is utterly meaningless, useless, and a waste of our time. Well, not only that, he goes to the second one in verse 15. Look at verse 15 again. Paul in verse 15 writes, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. So number two from verse 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, his apostles and followers are a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of liars because remember Paul and the other 12 apostles were going around for years saying, we saw Jesus with our own eyes. We heard Jesus with our own ears. We experienced Jesus after that Easter Sunday. And we know and testify that He is risen. Notice in verse 15, some of these legal terms that Paul uses in the verse here. He uses the term false witnesses. He uses the term testify. These are legal courtroom terms. And he uses these for a reason. He wants us to understand that if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning, then we are guilty of perjury. Because we have stood up, he says, and testified that Jesus Christ is alive. So you've got to come to grips with this, Corinthian Christians. If you believe that there is no resurrection of the dead, you've got to accept the fact that we're all a bunch of liars up here that are leading the church. That's the second repercussion of coming to that conclusion that Jesus Christ didn't, in fact, conquer death. Well, what about number three? We find the third in verse 17. Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So number three, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your Christian faith is pointless. Your Christian faith is pointless. How do you like them apples? If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, your Christian faith is pointless. There's no point in having faith in Jesus Christ. One of the things we say a lot as Christians is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, right? We say Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's why you see uh, crosses in just about any Christian church. Why a lot of Christians wear a cross around their necks. That's one of the main things we focus on. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. But think about this. If Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and Jesus Christ is still dead, then sin won. the only logical conclusion. If he died on the cross for our sins and he's still dead, then sin won. Not only that, death won. So if we're going around saying Jesus died on the cross for your sins, the natural logical response would be, so what? So what? He died on the cross for our sins, but sin killed him and sin is still on top of him. He didn't ever conquer it. So if sin killed Jesus, then it certainly is going to kill me. Because he's a lot tougher than I am. 
And if, dead, if death beat Jesus, then death is certainly going to beat me because Jesus is a lot tougher than I am. If Jesus Christ is still dead, that means sin won and death won, which means you are still in your sins and one day you will die and you will stay dead after you die. That's pretty discouraging, isn't it? But that's just the reality if he didn't conquer death on Easter morning, which leads us to number four, which he mentions in the next verse, verse 18. Look at that verse again. Verse 18, Paul writes, Then those who have fallen asleep, that's a nice way of saying those who have died, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ are lost. So number four, according to verse 18, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no hope of heaven. If sin won and death won, then sin will lick you and death will lick me and we are done once we die. There is no hope of heaven. And so you have to wrap your mind around this, Paul says. If Jesus didn't conquer death on Easter morning, then Revelation is a bunch of bunk. You go to Revelation chapter 21, the second to last chapter in the Bible, that's where we're told that in heaven there's no more pain, there's no more crying, there's no more uh, death. Uh, I like to say when I'm conducting a funeral service that there's no more hospital beds, there's no more prescription medication, no more medicine cabinets that spill out with all of those little orange pill jars. None of that stuff. But the fact is, if Jesus didn't conquer death on Easter morning, Christians are not going to heaven. No one's going to heaven. Because if Jesus didn't conquer death, there is no heaven. At least not for you or me. Not for any human who's ever lived. There's no heaven. And we try to wrap our minds around some of these implications. And uh, what a, a sad, sad way to live. Believing that once I die, I, I just kind of go into some sort of soul sleep. Or my soul and spirit just kind of enter some sort of annihilation. What a horrible way to live. Having no hope beyond the grave. But that's the reality if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead on Easter morning. There is no hope of heaven without the resurrection. And Paul says, if only, this is number four, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no hope of heaven. And he goes on to say, number five, verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Translated, if we're running around here on earth making all of these sacrifices, including today on Easter morning for Jesus Christ, giving our tithes and offerings, serving in ministry, sacrificing ourselves for the church, for others, spending our time investing our talents and our gifts in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others, if we're investing all of those time and talent and treasures in telling people about Jesus and doing His work, then we are a bunch of fools if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning. Paul says, we're to be pitied more than all men. People should be looking at us, our non-Christian friends, and seriously, you're spending hundreds and in some cases even thousands of hours serving Jesus Christ when He is still dead, when there is no afterlife, when there is no heaven. Our non-Christian friends should look at us and say, what a bunch of fools. What a bunch of fools. 
Why on earth would they do this? So look at those five taken together in verses 14 through 19. If Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning, then number one, our preaching is a waste of your time and my time. Number two, if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning, we know that our leaders, especially the apostles, were a bunch of liars. Number three, in verse 17, if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning, your faith is meaningless and purposeless. Number four, if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning, there is no heaven, there is no hope of an afterlife. And number five, if Jesus Christ didn't conquer death on Easter morning, Paul makes it so clear that we are to be pitied and looked down upon by all men who do not follow Jesus Christ. We are to be pitied more than anyone on the earth. But, verse 20, Jesus Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Oh, Paul says it so beautifully here. Now, one of the little parts of this chapter we didn't look at this morning, if you go back a little further in chapter 15, and look at verses 3 through 8. Paul does something pretty incredible there. He begins to list all of those who were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And so he says there, starting in verse 3, I receive what I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And here he goes. After that, He appeared to Peter, number one. Then to the twelve, that's thirteen witnesses total. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then also to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Paul there mentions and documents that there were over five hundred eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the 40-day period between Easter Sunday and when Jesus went back to heaven, during that 40-day period, there were more than 500 people who could stand up in a court of law and say, I saw Him with my own eyes. I heard Him with my own ears. In some cases, I even touched the wounds in His hands and His side with my own fingertips. Those individuals could stand up and testify. And if we were in a court of law today and someone was being accused of something, and there was a witness who stepped up and under oath said, I can testify that he did not do that. And then there's a second witness that says the exact same thing. And then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth. And one by one, 500 witnesses take the stand. You better believe that that makes for a pretty strong case, doesn't it? And so when you're talking about 500 witnesses, that's not evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. That's evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you'll remember as we read in the Gospels, the Jewish leaders, when they found out that Jesus had resurrected, they bribed the soldiers that were guarding the tomb. And they said, here's what you need to tell people. During the night, you were feeling a little groggy. And you were taking a little cat nap. And as you were sleeping, you opened your eyes and did one of these numbers. And you noticed the apostles were running off with Jesus' body. And you couldn't quite catch them. You tell everybody that the body was stolen. That's what you need to do. So they paid them off. Notice that story didn't gain any traction. Why not? Because there's 500 witnesses running around saying, 
that didn't happen. I just saw him yesterday. And they would begin to tell their story. There were more than 500 people running around Jerusalem testifying to the fact that Jesus was risen. And so that story about his body being stolen didn't gain any traction. So what you find is, just two months after Jesus rose from the grave, the Jewish people were scrapping that story. The Jewish leaders were saying, forget it about his body being stolen. That's a bunch of bunk and everybody knows it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get all of these eyewitnesses to shut their traps. And so in the book of Acts, we find this. At times, they're trying to bribe eyewitnesses to get them to shut up about Jesus. At times, they're arresting those eyewitnesses to get them to shut up about Jesus. They're throwing them in jail. At times, they're even killing those eyewitnesses who could testify to the truth of Jesus Christ's resurrection. But whether they bribed them, or whether they threatened them, or whether they threw them in jail, or beat them, or even killed them, they couldn't get them to shut up about Jesus because they knew what they knew, they knew what they had seen, they knew what they had heard. It was clearly a fact Jesus Christ was alive, and they couldn't shut up about it. They were so excited. And so that was what happened in the early years of Christianity. The fact was crystal clear for all to see. And the best Jesus' critics could do was try to get them to shut up. And because it was a fact that Jesus Christ was alive, because it is a fact still today that Jesus Christ conquered death on Easter and is still alive. Because it's a fact, number one, our preaching about Jesus Christ is never, never useless. Number two, because Jesus Christ conquered death on Easter morning, the apostles are proven to be testifiers to truth about Jesus Christ. Number three, because it is a fact that Jesus Christ conquered death on Easter morning, your faith is not useless. Your faith is never useless and you are not dead in your sins if you follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because Jesus resurrected on Easter morning, number four, your gift of heaven is available to you if you trust in Jesus Christ and you can look forward to being there in paradise after this life. And number five, since it's a fact of history that Jesus Christ conquered death on Easter morning. What's number five? Do you remember? We shouldn't be pitied more than all men. Those who don't follow Christ, the wisest thing they could ever do is to follow Him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Jesus Christ is alive. Because Jesus Christ conquered death, He is no fool who gives what He cannot keep to gain what He cannot lose. I got a phone call this last week from Edward up here. And he was saying, Hey, Dane. I think I know why God allowed Easter Sunday to fall on April Fool's Day this year. I said, really? Okay, what do you got, Edward? And he began to tell me, you know what? On Friday, Jesus was killed. They nailed him to a cross. And when they nailed him on a cross and Jesus died, all of Jesus' critics were convinced that they had won, right? They had licked Jesus. They had, they had killed Jesus. They had won. And you can only imagine that between Good Friday and Easter, Jesus was the brunt of a lot of cruel jokes. <laughs> Did you hear what he preached about just last month? He said he was going to rise from the dead. Yeah, right. Let's see you do that. I saw you die on that cross, Jesus. You thought you were king of the Jews? Yeah, some king you are. Crucified on the cross. He was the brunt of a lot of jokes, I'm sure. 
But Edward pointed out that on Easter morning, Jesus Christ had the last laugh. So you guys killed me and thought I was dead for good? April Fool! (laughs) Deep Thoughts with Edward, right here after the service if you need some more Deep Thoughts. Jesus Christ was no fool. Because He conquered death on Easter morning, it changes everything. It changes everything. And if you're going through this life living as if there is no life after this one, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Because Jesus Christ conquered death on Easter morning, He has blazed the trail for every single human being who has ever lived to live forever. You will live forever. Once you die physically here on earth, your soul and spirit will live on. Because Jesus Christ paved the way to eternity, every single person will live forever. But the bad news is, most will not live forever in heaven. Because most people make the foolish decision to live for today, to ignore eternity, and to live for my own selfish and temporary pleasures today, forsaking the eternal pleasures of Christ in heaven. And I made the decision years ago that I'm not going to live for today, I'm going to live for eternity. I'm going to live with heaven in mind. I'm going to live with heavenly priorities in mind because eternity is a whole lot longer than this little bitty life of mine here on earth. And if you live just for this life here on earth, then you have chosen to squander eternity. If you live for yourself here on earth, you have chosen to push Jesus Christ aside. And you will live forever, but it won't be with Him in heaven. And so the Bible has a term it uses for those who choose to live for today and choose to squander eternity and turn their backs on Jesus Christ, the word the Bible uses for that kind of person is fool. It's fool. I encourage you today, don't do the foolish thing. Don't put Jesus Christ aside. Don't just be here in church because you want to please a family member or please a friend. You make sure that you live with eternity in mind And allow Jesus Christ to take the driver's seat of your life. Allow Him to take the wheel and live for Him every day that you live here on earth. Elizabeth Elliot, when she got news that her husband had died there in the jungles of Ecuador, she was devastated. In just a moment, she discovered that she was a single mother with their little one-year-old. She was devastated. And probably most women in her situation would have packed up and gone back home to Oregon. But Elizabeth Elliot began to assemble a team of missionaries to go right back into the jungle where her husband and his four missionary friends had been killed and to continue their work. And so in the months after Jim Elliot's death, Elizabeth and that team went back into the jungles And they eventually began to have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the exact same men who had butchered her husband and his friends. And in the months that followed, just about every single member of the Alka tribe, 
made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Was Jim Elliott a fool? No, not at all. Jim Elliott laid down his life, and because his life was given to pave the way for the people to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, hundreds of lives in that tribe were saved because of his sacrifice. And in the 60 years since he made that sacrifice, Jim Elliott has inspired millions to stand up and share the good news of Jesus Christ as well. Jim Elliott, because of the fact that Jesus Christ conquered death on Easter morning, was no fool. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, he was no fool. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, you aren't a fool either. If you choose to give what you cannot keep, to gain what you cannot lose. Lord Jesus, we come to you thanking you that you are a risen Savior. We thank you that this life is not all there is. We pray, O oh God, that you would grip our hearts in this moment this morning. And may we not just go home and say, I attended a nice Easter service. I ate some good pancakes. I met some friendly people. I pray that we would go home changed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to accept you as Lord and Savior, and I know they're in this room right now. I know there's some in this room right now, Lord, who if they died today, they don't know where they'd go. There's some in this room today that if they died today, they're pretty sure they wouldn't go to heaven. Because they've lived for themselves and they've done life their own way. They've pushed, pushed you, Jesus, on the back burner. They've lived for this short, temporary life instead of living with eternity in mind. I pray for them, Lord, that you would just speak to their minds and hearts in a way that I could never speak to them. Letting them know that you are real. Letting them know, Lord Jesus, that you died for them. Letting them know that your arms are open right now, ready for them to come home to you. Give them a brand new start where their sins are washed away where you help them walk in obedience to your word from this point forward. Able to walk with confidence knowing that whenever their life comes to an end here on earth, their eternity with you will begin. Lord Jesus, touch our hearts. Draw us to you in Jesus' name.